Little is known about the amount and availability of surgical care globally. How important is surgery and how important is surgical care in the formation of global public health policy? You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushaz, and joining me is Dr. Alex Haynes from the Harvard School of Public Health. Dr. Haynes is also a surgeon at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Today, we're discussing surgical care in a global health setting. Welcome, Dr. Haynes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How did you personally become involved in research into global surgical health care? Well, it's sort of an interesting story, actually. I had worked in public health prior to going to medical school. I worked for the New York State Department of Health doing work on HIV-AIDS work. Afterwards, I decided I wanted to return to my schooling and get my medical degree and Everyone expected that, of course, I would go into infectious disease or pediatrics or another field that is typically seen as, quote-unquote, the right field for public health and medicine. However, I found that surgery was really where I was most interested and wanted to pursue a clinical career, and so I did so. And while doing my surgical training, had the opportunity to meet one of the surgeons at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Atul Gawande, who's also a surgeon and public health researcher. He was asked by the World Health Organization to get together a group to run a challenge in surgical safety for two years, and this was back in 2006. I asked if I could work with him, and he brought me on board, and we've done some great work since. And in the course of your work, Dr. Haynes, which developing countries did you visit or research? I've spent some time in Tanzania and Jordan and in the Philippines, working with a couple hospitals there in the delivery of surgical care. Are there any tangible differences between the three countries that you visited? Well, there are vast differences. One thing that's very interesting is that healthcare is really in a lot of very fundamental ways, very similar, whether you're in the United States or Tanzania or the Philippines. A lot of the problems facing healthcare providers are similar. They're stretched to the limits and taking care of patients. They work in a complex system trying to deliver care to a great many patients. However, in some of the more resource challenge settings, those challenges have very different ramifications. You know, for example, in Tanzania, I worked closely with a group of surgeons at a rural district hospital in the southern part of the country where if equipment breaks, they have to send it back to Dar es Salaam, the capital, for repair. And that's a 10-hour journey, half of which is over dirt roads. And you have to go through a game park where there's elephants sometimes crossing the road, and you wait when the elephant crosses the road. So, you know, something as simple as getting your ultrasound machine repaired can take weeks, and so they get quite accustomed to doing without particular pieces of equipment. At the same time, the kind of care they're delivering is really, in a lot of fundamental ways, not that different from other places. Did you also get involved in the teaching of medical students or surgeons? A big part of what my travels have been with the World Health Organization is establishing use of better organization of healthcare delivery. And so we spent time with both medical students and other healthcare providers, physicians, nurses, and a lot of these places, healthcare is delivered by a lot of non-physician providers. Um, I work with all of these in helping to teach some of the standards that the World Health Organization has developed for providing surgical care and also training people in use of the surgical safety checklist that our group has developed as part of this project. Is there a difference in the rates of surgery in the developing countries versus 
the developed countries that you visited? Very much so. And in a study that we published in the Lancet in July of 2008, we put together an estimate of how much surgery happens in the world and came to the conclusion using some mathematical modeling techniques that about 234 million operations are done worldwide every year, which is a staggering amount. It far exceeds the amount of childbirth and certainly far exceeds that of other infectious diseases and other things which are commonly seen as public health concerns. However, a lot of that surgery is concentrated in some of the wealthier countries. So even though what the uh, World Bank classifies as high healthcare expenditure countries really only account for a little over 15% of the population, they account for nearly 60% of the surgery that's done in the world. Still, even in poor countries, there's a great deal of surgery that gets done every year in the poorest of countries, places where the healthcare spending is less than $100 per person per year. There's still over 8 million operations done per year based on our estimations. And what does the World Health Organization classify as a high expenditure country? These are World Bank definitions, and the definition of a high expenditure country is a country that spends over $1,000 per year per person on health care. So that's mostly just the countries of North America and Western Europe with a, a few other countries around the world that would reach that level. Do you think that in the developing countries you visited, does the quality of the medical schools directly reflect the standard of surgical care given? Well, there's a, there's a lot of challenge in training healthcare providers in the developing world. The first and foremost is that a huge portion of those trained end up working outside of the countries. So even though a country may train a great many physicians in their medical schools, a lot of them are lured away to wealthier countries like our own or the United Kingdom or South Africa or many other places around the world to help provide care there. And clearly, there's a lot of financial incentives for those individuals to leave the country. So there's a lot of attrition. The quality of surgical care delivered is it's a complex story that is you know, partially based on training and partially based on resources and other issues. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushars, and I'm speaking with Dr. Alex Haynes. We're discussing surgical care in a global health setting. Dr. Haynes, how do you think that the standards of surgical care once they've been implemented in developing countries, for example, using surgical safety checklists, how can they be maintained in areas where there's economic and political unrest? That's a great question. One thing that we see is clearly important with particularly a lot of the low-cost interventions like checklists that we developed is that they help to provide organization in areas where there may be a lot of chaos, whether that be providing emergency surgery, surgery in places where resources are scant or where personnel are perhaps less than optimally trained. I think that checklists play a great role. I think that once checklists have become part of the routine, most of the clinicians that we've worked with have really found that they much prefer to use the checklist and really feel like they're missing out on something when they don't do it. Once the checklist has been implemented, it isn't a particular challenge to maintain it even in times of unrest, although we've been fortunate that that hasn't occurred in any of the sites where we've been piloting it. In developing countries, there's ever increasing numbers of laparoscopic procedures and less invasive techniques. What's happening in developing countries in this area of surgery? 
Well, it's not something that we've specifically looked at, but from my experience in traveling around, there's a great deal of interest in minimally invasive techniques in a lot of developing countries. One of the big appeals of laparoscopic surgery, for example, is that the time to return to work is often shorter, and that can be crucial when dealing with a rural patient population who the person having surgery may be the breadwinner for their family or may be responsible for maintaining their farms, and every day that he or she spends away from from these endeavors is a huge economic burden to their family, and so there's a lot of opportunity for laparoscopic surgery. That being said, the teaching of this technique needs to be done in a rigorous and methodical fashion and not just taken up haphazard by people who are interested in the financial rewards of highly advanced surgery. How do you define or can you define an acceptable or realistic rate of side effects from surgery or morbidity from surgery in developing countries? I would say that the answer to that is that it's the same as in developed countries and that the reality is we don't know exactly what that is. We know that a substantial portion of complications from surgery are avoidable. A number of studies have pointed to the idea that it's as much as one half and that we need to be doing quite a bit to ameliorate that. There's surprisingly little evidence out there about what the rates of complication are in surgery, particularly in the developing world. And so I think the first step is to better understand what the situation on the ground currently is. How important then is surgical care in the formation of global public health policy? It's really absolutely critical. If there are 236 million operations being done every year, then that's an enormous potential impact on people's health, both positively and, and potentially negatively. Surgical care is a key component of a lot of different sectors of healthcare. It's a key component to maternal and child health in that the provision of cesarean section for emergency cesarean section in particular is really critical to helping to reduce rates of maternal and uh, infant mortality. The use of surgery in cancer care is becoming more and more reality in many parts of the world where longer lifespans have led to increased rates of diseases such as cancer and cardiovascular disease. So I think it's really imperative that the public health world pay attention to surgical care and the World Health Organization and many other bodies have begun to do so. And it's equally important that surgeons take an active role in helping to shape these policies and to ensure that high-quality surgical care is available to everyone around the world. In researching for the article you wrote for The Lancet, how did you define major surgery? Well, this is one of the biggest challenges in doing this kind of research is that there are not good standard definitions of what constitutes an operation. You know, for example, does endoscopy considered an operation? Are surgeries that simply involve manipulation of joints under anesthesia operations? For our paper, we defined major surgery, first and foremost, as taking place in a room that is capable of providing anesthesia or profound sedation, and that is dedicated for the purpose of performing surgical procedures. So things done at the bedside or in a doctor's office would not be counted as major surgery. We then use the definition that surgery is an intervention that involved incision, excision, manipulation, or suturing of tissue that would require regional or general anesthesia to control the pain. What do you think then is the next step forward based on your research and your experiences, Dr. Haynes? So I think now that we have some idea of the volume of surgery, the next step is trying to figure out what is the rates of, of complications following surgery. We are working with the World Health Organization as part of this project and developing a set of surgical vital statistics that countries can report in the same way that they might report things such as 
rates of tuberculosis or rates of childbirth or rates of maternal or neonatal death. And those are some very simple measures that reflect both the infrastructure available for surgery, number of operating rooms, the workforce, number of surgeons, number of anesthesia providers, the volume of surgery in order to continue to refine our estimates of how much surgery goes on, and then the postoperative mortality, looking at two numbers, the day of surgery mortality, which reflects typically some sort of a catastrophic event, either an anesthetic complication or some sort of major mishap, and then the postoperative inpatient death rate, which is a marker, albeit a crude marker, for postoperative complications. These are very, very basic measures, but these data are really not well understood around the world. Thanks very much, Dr. Haynes, for your time and thanks for being our guest. We've been discussing surgical care in a global health setting. I'm Dr. Mary Lou Shars. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com, register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening.